Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, January 27th, we are studying John chapter 5, verses 30 to 47. Jesus continues to speak to those who are ready to kill him for his works and his words. He now brings to his defense several witnesses that testify to the truth of who he is. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. As we get started today, Pastor Preuss, let's talk about context. We're picking up in the middle of a sermon by Jesus. What should we know about what's been happening around these words of Jesus as we prepare to look at them today? So in John chapter 5, beginning of John 5, uh, Jesus heals the lame man at the pool at Bethesda. Uh, the man wasn't able to get into the... He was there for 38 years in the pool uh, where supposedly they were healed. And, and the manuscript that the angel came down to heal them. And after uh, Jesus heals the man, the cell takes the and walks Sabbath, so this gets the Jews upset at Jesus. Uh, and then St. John reveals that Jews are upset that Jesus uh, claimed, claimed to be the Son of God, which makes people to God, calling God his Father, and uh, so they want to kill him. Then, uh, he said to disperse them, uh, claiming that his authority is from his father, and he starts talking about the end of the world, the judgment, the final judgment, and that only those who believe in him sent by the father escape that judgment. Uh, that's where we get that language in the Athanasian Creed, which we say usually once a year, uh, where it says that there some will uh, that uh, those who have done good will enter into the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil uh, uh, will go into everlasting fire. Uh, that's from John chapter 5. Uh, so then we pick up from, from there. Jesus we talked about final judgment, and now he's just talking about himself. Um, so he's, as I'll mention, I'll go on, uh, uh, Jesus is on, on trial, really. I mean, this isn't his trial before Caiaphas uh, or uh, the or, or Pilate, but he certainly is on trial, and uh, he's giving his defense. He'll be calling in witnesses, and uh, he gives an ironclad defense, uh, and uh, gives us assurance of of our faith. All right, so let's go ahead and take a look at the text we've got for today. Again, this is John 5, picking up now in verse 30. Jesus continues to speak. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. 
There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? That's our text for today. That is John 5, verses 30 to 47. So, Pastor Price, you, you talked about this in terms of a, a trial, Jesus giving him a defense of himself. Give us kind of just at least an overview of this text in, in that light, that this, if we think about this as Jesus on trial and giving a defense here. How, how do we see that just sort of as, a, as an overview of this text? So uh, our concept of what a trial is and what a courtroom should look like uh, is very much influenced by Holy Scripture. In Deuteronomy uh, 19, verse 15, it says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed, only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall charge be established. And Jesus then repeats this, uh, or he cites this passage in John chapter 8, where he says, in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Of course, right there we hear one of the, the witnesses that he gives. So Jesus is doing, saying, okay, well, I'm on trial here. You're judging uh, my teaching, and uh, I'm going to, I'm going, I'm, I'm not bearing witness about myself. Uh, there's another who bears witness of me. And, uh, which is also kind of interesting, because he says, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. They start talking about John, but John's not the only witness. He has John the Baptist that he lists. He lists the Father. He lists his own works, which proves that he's sent by the Father. Uh, he lists Holy Scripture, which uh, he says, in them you have eternal life. He lists Moses, and uh, which, which would be the law, uh, the Holy, which again is, is the Holy Scriptures, but it's a uh, particular set of the, of the Holy Scripture. So that's, uh, you need two or three witnesses. Uh, he has himself, he has John the Baptist, his father, 
he has uh, Holy Scriptures, which of course is innumerable witnesses of his name, Moses, and of course he has his own work, uh, which I mean, he, he mentions John. John did no miracles, and yet they believed in him for a while. Hmm. Uh, and uh, Jesus comes and keeps doing the, the miracles to those that bear witness. In another place in Scripture, Jesus says, uh, you know, if you don't believe me, you believe the works that I've done. So, uh, yeah, so he has, he has more than more than two or three witnesses. He has uh, an abundance of, of witnesses. So with that overview, then, let's let's dig into these verses individually. Before we get to the, the various witnesses that he starts listing, which I, I think, you know, start really in verse 32, is at least he starts listing other witnesses besides what he says about himself. Talk about those first two verses of our text, verses 30 and 31. It sounds like there's some overlap as to what we heard Jesus speak about yesterday, that he does nothing on his own. He's doing what the Father has given him to do. Talk about those first two verses. Right. Uh, well, I think John, of all the Gospels, gives us the most uh, ironclad evidence for the Holy Trinity and uh, the hypostatic union or the personal union of Christ. So. The, the Holy Trinity being that there are three persons and one God. So three persons in the divine Godhead. The Father is one, the Son is one, the Holy Spirit is one, yet there are not three gods but one God. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Son or the, or the Father. And yet these three are one God. Uh, so as in the hypostatic or personal union, being that there is one Christ, and uh, that's the person of Christ. And in that person, uh, there are two natures. There is the divine nature, uh, begotten of the Father from eternity, and there's the human nature, which is the womb of the Virgin Mary. And yet there are not two Christs, but one Christ, the nature not being mixed, and yet not being separated. So everything that Jesus does, he does as, uh, as God and as man. So the language that that Jesus uses in the entire book of John, and particularly here, uh, is the language of the Holy Trinity. So at, so at, the, at the end of this pericope, this section of scripture we're talking about today, he talks about the only God. Uh, and yet, here, he is talking about being sent by, by God. Uh, and then, of course, uh, later on uh, in, in John, I believe it's John 8, 30, where he says, I and the Father are one. So, uh, so Jesus, no, it's not 30, it must be maybe, oh, maybe 10.30. Uh, so, uh, Jesus is God, and yet he is sent by God. So, I can do nothing on my own, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, there are a couple of ways you could look at him saying, I, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him sent me. Um, God only has one will. So the Father doesn't have a separate will from the Son, and the Son doesn't have a separate will from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a separate will from the Father. There's only one will in the divine Godhead. Uh, so there, I read uh, one church father said that that's what this means, that the, the Son has the same will as the Father. Yet, in the hypostatic union, the personal union, Christ has two wills. He has his human will, 
And of course, he has the, the divine will. And those two wills are united in the person of Christ so that uh, they, they do not differ in any way. And uh, that's kind of how where I lean on this. When he says, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Uh, this is him saying that uh, he submits his human will to the divine will. Also, when Jesus talks about being sent, uh, and we think of this in a temporal sense, that is, that it's in time and space. So the Holy Spirit uh, causes Christ to be conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So Jesus is being sent. Uh, we know when that happens. We know where that happens. Uh, this is descriptive of what has been going on from eternity. Hmm. So the Son, who is sent from the Father in space and time, uh, is, goes forth from the Father, uh, is begotten of the Father from eternity. Uh, just as the Son, too, or the Holy Spirit, too, the Holy Spirit is sent by the Son, and he's sent by the Father. Uh, and we see this in time. We see this on Pentecost. We see this every time there's a baptism. We see this every time the gospel is preached. Uh, yet we also see from this this happening in time that this is the order from eternity. Uh, so that's that's what I see when I look at these passages. Uh, Jesus says, I can do nothing all on my own. Uh, it's because he is not on his own. He shares the divine Godhead with the Father. And uh, you can't separate his humanity from his divinity. Everything he does as a man, he does as God. And everything he does as the Son, uh, he does uh, according to the will of the Father, because they have one will. And he is sent from eternity from the Father. He cannot uh, deviate in any way from the Father's will, because they have one will. They're, they are one God. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it seems like maybe I'm repeating myself a lot, and I guess I am. But uh, that's kind of how we have to speak, because these are profound uh, ideas yeah. that, uh, and people don't believe them unless they believe the Bible is the Word of God and that we should believe things that are beyond our comprehension. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit about that last, the last episode, which we covered the first part of Jesus' answer here, and that these, these things are very mysterious that Jesus preaches about here. And, and yet, for us as Christians, we simply confess the truth of what Jesus says. And sometimes that does require to kind of, you know, repeat what we're saying. But I think, you know, Jesus repeats what he's saying. He, he started off very similarly to this in his answer, beginning in verse 19, where he said, truly, truly, the son can do nothing of his own accord. Here we have something very similar as Jesus, you know, reiterates that. And, you know, as, as he talks about, he can do nothing of his own. And then he starts to talk about the idea of the witnesses. I really do think you, you see him responding to those accusations of verse 18, that he's breaking the Sabbath. Well, he says he's not breaking the Sabbath because he's actually doing what the Father has given him to do. And then the accusation that, you know, he, he shouldn't be calling God his Father or making himself equal with God, that's really where I think the answer starts to turn as we, we think about who then testifies to who Jesus is. Jesus says in verse 31, it's, it's not just his own testimony, because as you brought out from Deuteronomy, there needs to be more than one witness. 
So Jesus starts to, to marshal the witnesses, which you laid out for us earlier. He starts with John in verses 33 through about oh, 35. He starts talking about John. What does Jesus say about the witness that John gives to him in those verses? Uh, well, he says that, uh, that John bore witness to the truth. Uh, he says that uh, they actually received John's witness for a while. They say that he is uh, that he they they rejoice in his light. Oh, uh, let me back up a little bit. Uh, he says that uh, that he that although he cites John, he says that his testimony is not as if he received it from man. So John's testimony is not the testimony of a man because he is sent from God. He says, uh, "But I say these things so that you may be saved." So. He's not citing John to get a human witness, although John is a human witness. But he's citing John so that they might be saved. If you think of what John preached, he preaches the way of salvation. So what does he say? Well, if we go back to John chapter 1, it says, uh, here, he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to, as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light came to bear witness about the light. And that's interesting because then Jesus says that uh, John was a burning and shining lamp, hmm. and uh, you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So uh, John was a lamp uh, that, oops, no, isn't it? I covered up my Greek. Um, and, uh, but Jesus is the light that John is not, which is false. Uh, so the, the, the church fathers would say, well, you know, a light, a lamp has to be lit. So that's why John is a lamp. He's not, he's not the light. So, I mean, you think about the creation of the world. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, uh, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then, like, four days later, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars that have light. So he creates light before he creates any source of light or reflection of light. Jesus is light. He is the source of all light. And uh, John is just a lamp that burns with the light that is given to him uh, until it runs out. So they were, uh, they were glad to rejoice in that light for a while. He, says that, he said, you, went to, uh, you sent to John. Okay, this gives us an idea of who these people are. Mm. Uh, they're the Pharisees. Right. Uh, in, in verse 19... Uh, Chapter 1, verse 19 says, And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am Christ. He then denies to be Elijah. He denies to be the prophet. And then he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Oh, I also skipped over uh, verse 15. He says, uh, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes before me ranks before me because he was before me. So I guess I'm, I'm talking about two different things. One, the fact that the Jews went to Jesus, they were in, or went to John. They were intrigued by John. They enjoyed listening to his preaching. And we hear that even, you know, Pharisees and scribes came to, to, hmm. to John. Uh, even Herod enjoyed listening to John. And what does John say? Well, he says that one is coming after him who is before him. So, again, that's talking about the hypostatic union, the personal union. He's after him because he's a man, born after him, ministry after him. He's before him because he is the eternal God. 
And then finally we get the climax of who John is, and that's on John one twenty nine, or who Jesus is, uh, of, according to John's testimony. And it's John one twenty nine. It says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's why Jesus says, I tell you this in verse uh, 34. He says, But I say these things to you that you may be saved. So you rejoice in John's light. You enjoyed that burning flame for a while. Uh, but do you even remember what he said? What was the mm. point of John? John said from the beginning, I'm not going to be preaching to you forever. I'm going to decrease. He must increase. Look at the Lamb of God. He's, he's who's coming after me was before me. And he's the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. So uh, John preaches the gospel that they, these people must believe in order to be saved. And what we'll see is every single witness that Jesus calls to uh, the bench, I guess he's down on the court lingo is. Every single one te- uh, testifies that Jesus sends the faith. Yeah, maybe uh, every single one that Jesus calls to the witness stand, I think, maybe. That's that's the, right, that's there we right. go. Yeah, okay. The so, judge calls the, the, the lawyers to the bench, or is that the way it works? I, I think. I, I don't know. I, I got one thing right. That was enough for me. <laughs> so, okay, so yeah, so he's calling these ahead, these witnesses to the to the witness stand, John being the first one. I do, you know, just, just listening to, to what you were saying about John and the way Jesus speaks about him, to see how often Jesus brings John up uh, as a witness to who he is— to these people who are opposing him, you know, the way that he speaks here in John 5, I, I find reminiscent of the way that he speaks in the Synoptic Gospels. I, I forget which day of Holy Week that it's on, but when he's facing all those challenges and they want to know where he gets his authority, and Jesus wants them to consider, well, what about John? Where did his authority come from? You know, I mean, he knows the answer, and they know the answer too. And it goes back to what Jesus has said here, that John's testimony wasn't just the testimony of man, but this was the testimony John gave because he was sent from God. I mean, it's just it's striking to see how, how important it really is to understand John as a witness to Jesus within the really the whole scope of the Gospels. Well, and it shows how... I mean, it, they're irrational the way they're, they're thinking, because, I mean, they're willing... So what was their response? They, they go to Jesus and they say, uh, by what, where, where does your authority come from? And he says, I'll answer you if you answer me, the baptism of John is it from heaven or is it from man? And they don't want to say from heaven, because then he'll say, why didn't you believe in him? They don't want to say from uh, man, because the, the people will stone him because the prophet. Well, okay, well, listen here. If he is from heaven, what, what did he say? If his message is from heaven, then you should listen to it. Uh, and, and he's kind of just pointing this out right there. Like, you guys, you know, you guys enjoyed John's uh, lamp for a while. And, and, and yet, like, you, you don't even think about it. It's like when people say, oh, that was a really great sermon, and they don't ever come to church again. And it's just like, well, I mean, I don't know. It, it's, it's, uh, it, it shows just the, the stupidity of unbelief. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. We we see that throughout the scriptures, and, and certainly evidence of it here. Now, the the next witness that Jesus brings up after John, well, this is where and maybe I, I guess the next witness in verse thirty six is he he talks about the works that he's done, but those are the works that the Father has given to him. So it, it seems that those two witnesses go together. The witness of the works that Jesus is doing and the witness of the Father seem to go together as Jesus continues. Yeah, and I mean, and what are these works? Uh, we have the, in this very chapter, he heals a lame man. 
Um, and then the next chapter, he's going to feed, feed 5,000. Uh, but I'm mean, just seeing these, these works. People are coming to him to, ha- to have uh, people, so that people can be healed. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so they're the, I mean, they're the works that bear, that bear witness of him, and they're bearing witness uh, that the Father has sent him. Because as Jesus points out, you've never heard the Father, and you've never seen him. So Jesus is, he is the voice of the Father. He is the sight of the Father. Although it is kind of interesting that he says you've never heard him, because Jesus brings up John. Right. And um, it's, just, it's interesting, because verse 32, he says, and there's another one who bears witness about me. And I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. So my immediate thought when I read that was like, oh, he's about to talk about the Father. But then he starts talking about John. Like, oh, so this witness that you know is true is, is John's witness. But then he says, uh, but, you know, not that the testimony I received is from man. And then he goes on. So he's pretty much bringing up John. Says, well, you believed in John for a while. He was sent from God. But here's a testament that's even greater my works. My works are greater than John's testimony because they're from God. Uh, but anyway, it, it's interesting that they it says that they have not heard his voice because John baptized Jesus, and that is when we hear the voice of the Father say, "This is my beloved Son, whom uh, you uh, I am well pleased." So uh, there is the testimony of of the Father. We actually hear his his voice. So I don't know if um, perhaps they weren't at the baptism, or maybe they were the ones who thought that they heard thunder. Um, hmm. I'm not sure, but it, it is interesting that he, he says that they've never heard his voice. But uh, another thing that's interesting about that is, you know, you and I haven't heard God's, the Father's voice, and we haven't seen him either, but we are not thereby, you know, acquitted if we don't believe in him, because we're in the same boat as the Jews, because we have all these other witnesses. We have John the Baptist, we have our pastor, we have... Scripture, we have Moses, we have all these other witnesses, uh, and we even have the works of Jesus because you know by the by the evidence of two or three witnesses, the charge is established. And you mentioned the synoptic gospel. Why do we call them the synoptic gospel? Well, because it means that they uh, they agree with each other, and they're all bearing witness. The three synoptic gospels; those are three witnesses plus John, who will also agree with them. Uh, of the miracles, the mighty works of Jesus. So uh, we have not heard Jesus, God's Father's voice, but we do have the testimony of Jesus' work. We do have the testimony of John the Baptist. We do have the testimony of the Holy, Holy Scriptures and of Moses. Right, and I, I think you know the main the main thing that Jesus is getting at when he, he talks about the Father's voice you've never heard is less about what happens at Jesus' baptism because in just thinking, you know, in terms of the way John's gospel has been recorded for us, the voice of the Father, at least spoken as we hear it in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, we don't actually hear that in John. So that when when Jesus says this here, in at least in the context of John's narrative, then it seems to be pointing much more toward the fact the reason they've never heard the voice of the Father is because they're refusing to listen to Jesus. You know, and, and that's that's why they're not hearing the Father's voice at this moment, less about what they did or didn't hear at the baptism, and much more Jesus driving them back to the fact, you need to be listening to me. That's where you're going to hear the words of eternal life. And I, I think that'll provide a bridge then to keep looking at these witnesses Jesus brings up on the other side of the break. You're listening to 
Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking about John 5 with Pastor James Preuss. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, January 27th. We're studying John chapter 5, verses 30 to 47 with Pastor James Price. He is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Price, prior to the break, we were talking about verses 36 through 38, where Jesus brings up another witness to who he is, his works that his Father has given to him to do. And he's told those who have accused him of, of not being equal with the Father and of making himself equal with God, he's, he's told them, the reason you don't listen to the Father is because you're not listening to me. And, and as he continues then, he brings up the scriptures. And this really you know, becomes a really important point through the rest of this text as to what they're looking for from the scriptures, but what the scriptures really testify about. So Talk, let's let's we can spend a lot of time talking about this. Let's talk about the scriptures as a witness to Jesus. What does he he teach us here? Well, he says in verse thirty nine. Well, going back to thirty eight, that reminds me of uh, that uh, the awesome confirmation of verse. He says, "By my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." That's John eight thirty one thirty two, I believe. Uh, Matthew five thirty eight, and he says, "And you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one." He has sent, which affirms what you said before. They don't hear the voice of the Father because they don't listen to the ones who get sent. In 39, he says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Um, I think I remember Peter Bender, who's a pastor in Sussex, Wisconsin, a very, uh, very bright. Man, um, you should listen. You should listen to these, especially as they're getting older, and we're not going to have them forever. Uh, not that that old, but uh, I think he said that uh, he he translates this as an imperative. I don't know if he's right or not, uh, but uh, I think it's interesting. Search the scriptures like a command. Hmm. Search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Uh, either way, uh, the scripture that, that's why you read scriptures. I mean, I remember, who's that one uh, new atheist who is popular? He has a podcast, I think, like everyone else. Is it Sam Harris? Is that the name of the guy? The guy with like, the curly brown hair, and he's been sort of... Uh, his, I don't know. He's, I don't like, know. 
You don't know. Yeah. No, sorry. I, I'm not. I, I remember I watched like a short YouTube video where he was talking about the Bible, and I think it's I think it's Sam Harris. Maybe maybe someone there. No, is it Harris or Harrison? I always get those. Ones. Anyway, I'm glad I can't remember the guy's name because these guys are all just. Um, um, anyway, they're, they'll be forgotten for not too long. Yeah. Uh, but he said like the Bible is like, well, how can you believe this is a book written by God when you know we have all this information that we've that we've discovered, you know, through much pain and trial that has made life better for the world, you know, technology and science and, you know, things that, that we know have made the world better, medicine, you know, agriculture, uh, you know, electricity, all these things. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about any of these things. It's very primitive. Uh, and, uh, and I'm like, this guy just sounds, he sounds like an idiot. Uh, because, like, why do we have the scriptures? Well, because then we have eternal life. So, no, the Bible's not going to tell you about electricity or the Internet or about vaccines or vitamins and uh, things like that. I mean, it's going to tell you about the way of eternal life. And the way of eternal life is uh, the same for, you know, Noah and Abraham and uh, and, and us. I mean, even though, obviously, we, have, we live in very... Uh, different worlds. We we still have bodies and souls uh, where we're still responsible before God for our deeds. So the, the purpose of reading Scripture is because in it you have eternal life, and that's very much what John says at the end of the or close to the end of this book uh, in chapter twenty. But then he gives us an extra chapter after that. Uh, but he says, you know, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's actually one of our uh, settings for, in our liturgy. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, but he says, but it's them that bear witness about me. So he's going to understand that you're looking at Scripture, but Scripture is a closed book to you. Uh, all of the Bible is, is about me. And uh, I mean, he's telling these Jews what he tells his disciples after the resurrection, that thus it is written, and uh, you know the the law and the and the prophets and the psalms that the Christ must suffer and die and rise, and that uh, repentance for forgiveness of sins is preached to all nations against That's in Luke twenty-four, but uh, that that's what he's saying to these Jews before he even uh, dies and rises from the dead. Uh, so it. This again, I mentioned to you during the break. Uh, this is like we know those passages. You know, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and for truth and perfection, for training and righteousness. As uh, Saint Paul writes and Saint Peter writes that you know, uh, no prophecy was ever uh, produced by the will of man, but uh, holy men wrote as they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we know that that. God is the one, the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired Scripture. This isn't just something that Peter and Paul wrote. This is what Jesus is saying. Scripture tells you the way of eternal life, and Scripture is about So when we give up on Scripture, and this is the, the most common thing with uh, many church bodies, for those of you listening who may belong to different church bodies, if your church body doesn't confess that the Bible is the Word of God without errors, then you're, you're uh, in great danger. Uh, and you're uh, in the midst of wolves. Jesus says that Scripture tells you about eternal life. So if Scripture tells you about eternal life, this isn't something that you should be messing around with. Uh, you want to have, you want to be certain that whoever is teaching you 
also believe that the Bible is going to give you eternal life, and you're not going to lose any of it. And we've certainly seen this. So, um, like ELCA, which uh, compromised on this from its inception uh, in 2019, voted down um, the, uh, a statement at their convention that said that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. Uh, so, I mean, Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. Wow. So go figure if you're going to deny that the Bible is the word of God. So this is, as it is applicable, obviously, to these Jews that Jesus is speaking to there, these people who are errors of the scriptures, uh, and you're missing the point. So it is to us today. Um, one, the Bible is the word of God. It has no error. Two, the Bible bears witness about Jesus. So when you have like one of these fanatics who's like, oh, well, you know, the Bible is the most important book in the world, and then they stop eating pork and uh, start, uh, you know, wearing uh, fr- uh, long fringes with, like, the blue thread and things like that and, and, and celebrating the Feast of Booze, uh, as I've actually met a number of people are doing. Like, well, you're missing the point. You're, uh, you're giving up the substance for the shadows. Uh, scripture is about Jesus. It cannot be broken, and it, it teaches the, the, the way of salvation by teaching you who Jesus is. What's striking to me about what you were saying about those church bodies that stop holding to the scriptures as the inspired and inerrant word of God is that it it seems that it often comes out of some sort of, I mean, the way they'll express it is that, well, we're trying to, to hold to Jesus as in they start to, it seems like they start to pit Jesus against the scriptures, which this verse obviously rules out of hand. You can't do that. But when they do that, they end up losing both. They neither have the Jesus, nor the scriptures, when you hold on to the scriptures, you, you truly do hold on to Jesus, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have lots of straw men and false dichotomies uh, thrown at us, and uh, like we're accused of worshiping the Bible as if the Bible is our God. Well, I mean, the Bible is God's Word. I mean, I don't—why are we trying to make things more complicated than they are? Uh, it, it, it's like, you know, I, I, uh, I love Jesus. But I, or, or it's like it's just it's with anything it's, it's that that you know you don't need baptism you just need faith. It's like, well, what are you talking about? Faith in what? You trust? Who are you trusting? In whom are you trusting? Oh, you trust in Jesus? Okay. Well, what did Jesus say? Is that like we didn't invent baptism? Uh, oh, you don't need to go to church. You just need to believe in Jesus. They're like, okay. Well, what did Jesus say? He said, "Where two or three are gathered in my name, He gives all authority to His church." Uh, against which Satan will not be able to stand. Uh, King, uh, Satan's kingdom won't, won't be able to stand. I mean, uh, <laughs> Jesus is the the bridegroom of His church. So there are all sorts of things like, oh, you don't need to, you don't don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus. So like, oh, okay, well, how do you know anything about Jesus at all? Well, it's from the Bible, and Jesus Himself says so. He says it is Scripture that bears witness about Him. It is Moses who bears witness about Him. So. Uh, we should just not fall for these nonsense uh, false dichotomies, these nonsense straw men and trying to defend a straw man that we don't hold. We don't worship the Bible as if like the Bible is our God, uh, but the Bible is the Word of God, and uh, that's, so we revere it in, in that sense, and, uh, and we trust in it because it gives us eternal life. This is we trust in our baptism, not as a false god, that we're pitting against faith, but because Christ has given it, has attached his promise to it. 
So when we trust in baptism, we're trusting in Christ Jesus. When we receive the Lord's Supper, we're trusting in Jesus. Um, when we talk about the importance of going to church, because the church is where the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and where the sacraments are administered, where Jesus gathers his sheep into one flock and, uh, and tends to them. So, um, yeah, we should just not, not get befuddled by these uh, silly tricks of the devil. You you mentioned those Christians who you know would maybe read the Old Testament and and then start celebrating the Feast of Booze or or insisting on certain diets and those types of things and I, I think the way you put it is that those would would forsake the the substance for the sake of the shadow or, or something to that effect. Talk yeah. talk more about this verse and its implications for for how we read the Old Testament. Well, uh, I had a I, I had a professor at seminary who said that Luther would find Jesus under every bush and rock in the Old Testament. And uh, he was teasing Luther. And I was like, well, good. Luther knows how to read Scripture. Uh, the Old Testament is about Jesus. Genesis uh, 3.15, uh, God says, I will enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. That's about Jesus. I have no doubt in my mind that that is about Jesus. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind that that is what the God, God the Father, meant when he said uh, those words. And uh, I have no doubt in my mind that that is what uh, Adam and Eve believed. Um, the, the Passover lamb is about Jesus. Circumcision is about Jesus. Uh, the angel of death coming through and killing the, uh, the, uh, the firstborn. Uh, and, and with the Passover lamb, that's about Jesus. Uh, all of the sacrifices are about Jesus. Uh, David teaches us about Jesus. Uh, I mean, the, the uh, Abraham almost sacrificing Isaac teaches us about Jesus. The virgin uh, who bears a child uh, is in Isaiah 7 is about Jesus. The suffering servant in Isaiah 53 is about Jesus. The uh, the, the shoot that will come out of, of Jesse is Jesus. Um, that the Son of Man in, in the book of Daniel, it's in chapter 8, uh, is Jesus. And I have full confidence that all, of, uh, that all of this scripture is talking about Jesus. And we have a license as Christians to find Jesus in the Old Testament. And we shouldn't be embarrassed about it. Uh, I was once rebuked by a fellow student I was in a computer lab uh, in uh, Berlin, Germany, my final semester in, in college. And uh, some, someone was taking some course on anti-Semitism. And for whatever reason, uh, in their class, they were learning about the sacrifice, of the near sacrifice of Isaac. And so I'd never heard the story before. I explained to him about how this prophesies of Jesus dying for our sins. And this kid rebuked me. Uh, and he said, oh, you can't impose that on the Jewish scriptures. I said, yes, I can't. They're my scriptures. Uh, and Jesus is a Jew, and the apostles are Jews, and they're teachers, and uh, and uh, the Holy Spirit caused causes to be written. Uh, and so we should not be ashamed to say that, that the Old Testament is about Jesus, about his birth, his death, his resurrection, and the forgiveness he, he grants to all who believe in him. And, yeah. so I, I, mean, I could go on all day. 
No, that, that's fine. I understand. Yeah. But the reason, I mean, the reason, as you said, we have a license to read the Old Testament that way is because that's the way Jesus teaches us to read the Old Testament. He, he quite literally says that the book is all about him. The scriptures are about him. And that is true of both of the Old and New Testaments, as we call them. These are all about him. I, I recall, I, I forget exactly when this was, how many years ago, there was a, a movie made in recent memory about the Exodus. I think it was called Exodus Gods and Kings or something like that. And it it didn't do a very good job of, of portraying the story. But the the point that was was made by some in, in popular media was that the the actor who portrayed Moses was Christian Bale. And and there was some that was like, Oh, you remember this? And they were like, Well, yeah, how could you have a guy named Christian portray a Jew? And I was like, Well, actually Moses was a Christian. And, and I think we should talk that way very explicitly. Just as you were saying, Adam and Eve, they believed that promise. Moses trusted in the Christ. He was a Christian in the, the same sense that, well, he was a Christian as you and I were. He trusted in the Christ who was to come as we trust in the one who has come. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I could go on and on about that too. Uh, but I, I, the reason I bring up the particular emphasis on Moses there is because Jesus does, if we can kind of jump ahead a little bit, I do want to come back to those verses 42 through 44, but, but Jesus brings up Moses specifically in verses 45 through 47 as another one of these witnesses. Uh, talk about the role of Moses particularly as Jesus brings him up. Right. So when you think Moses, the word that you should think of is law. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible in, in Hebrew. That's called the Torah. I think most people are familiar with the word Torah. And it's translated into every other language as a law. So in, in the Greek New Testament, it's called nomos. Uh, or in the Septuagint, they'll translate it as nomos, which is translated into English as law. So Moses wrote the law. Now, we Lutherans understand the paradigm of law and gospel, the law being the commandments of God, which convict us of our sin, and the gospel being the good news that Jesus died for us uh, so that we are saved apart from our works, but through faith alone. Uh, but that's not always what the word law means in Scripture. Law uh, often refers to the five books of Moses, or even by, uh, by metonymy or synecdoche, which uh, uh, one more properly fits there, or with the part for the whole, would that be? Uh, oh, I always forget which is which in that case too. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, uh, it refers to the whole of Scripture, all of Scripture. When you talk, and Jesus does this all the time. You'll talk about the law, like uh, or Moses and the prophets. So this should remind you of Lazarus and the rich man. Uh, what does Abraham say? If they don't, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe if. Uh, a man should rise from the dead. And here you have Jesus say, well, if they don't listen to Moses' words, then they're not going to believe me, you know, the man who, then you're not going to believe me, the man who will rise from the dead. Uh, so when we hear about Moses, we shouldn't necessarily be thinking of the law as in you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, but the law as in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, these, what Jesus points out is he says, hey, you've set your hope on Moses. What does he mean by you set your hope on Moses? Well, they've set their hope on the commandment. They say, well, hey, look at my phylacteries. Hey, look at my uh, fringes. Hey, look at how I tie uh, mint and, and cumin. Look at, uh, I've, you know, I've never missed the Passover. I never work on the Sabbath. Even, you know, when I see my, uh, my neighbor in need, I, I don't help them because I keep the Sabbath, right? I mean, this is the way they think, and they think that they're, they're keeping the, the commandments. 
uh, well, St. Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are, are under a curse, where it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And, of course, he's, uh, St. Paul also writes in Romans chapter 3 that uh, uh, no human being will be justified in, uh, by God before God by works of the law, for through, through the law comes knowledge of sin. So they set their hope on Moses, meaning they set their hope on the commandments that Moses gave, and, and they haven't even kept them. But Jesus, he's not even point, but Jesus is even pointing out that they haven't kept the laws necessarily. He says, you're not listening to the other things that Moses is saying, uh, uh, which is the testimony about him. So it's not just, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, or even be circumcised on the eighth day uh, and uh, observe the, the feasts and festivals of the Lord. But Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, and he said the Lord will provide, and they provided a lamb. Uh, that uh, the, the, the seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of uh, Satan, it's crush the head of Satan. Uh, I mean, all of these prophecies of Jesus, the suffering servant, the virgin bearing a child, uh, a ruler coming forth from Bethlehem, who's, uh, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, these are, uh, okay, I guess I, I jumped to Isaiah I and to Micah. Oops. Well, you can include those in Moses. Uh, Moses, uh, Moses, uh, teaches of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, circumcision teaches about Jesus shedding his blood for us. Uh, so uh, uh, it, it, they, they, they put their hope in Moses' commandments, which we know only condemns them. And Jesus is saying that if you actually listen to Moses, you would hear of how he teaches of me. Yeah. I am the promised one that Moses spoke of uh, from the very beginning. Uh, and uh, so in, in both, so he pretty much gets he, he mentions two witnesses of scripture, which I think are is very appropriate mm. because uh, scripture is one witness because it is the word of the Holy Spirit, and scripture is many witnesses because mm. you have the the apostles and the prophets. Uh, so it's uh, it is very beautiful. I think that that passage from Deuteronomy 19 that every charge should be established by two or three witnesses. Uh, it is, is very important. It teaches us about the Holy Trinity and how even when God speaks without any other witnesses, he has sufficient witnesses. It speaks about how Scripture surpasses uh, the burden of two or three witnesses. Mm. Um, it, it really does give us a reason to be confident and shows that our faith is logical uh, in the sense of, you know, uh, it is logical as in you know, logic is given to us by the Logos, uh, by Christ. And, uh, and it gives us confidence to read Scripture and uh, to, to learn from it. Just to add very briefly to what you were saying about the witness of Moses, Jesus has already brought up the witness of Moses to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where he, he reminds that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. So Jesus has, has given an example already of how to, to do this in the Old Testament, especially from the testimony yeah. of Moses particularly. With uh, yeah, we, Go ahead. No, I just absolutely. That's a great, that's a great one to, to bring up. Yeah, and it comes right from the lips of Jesus. Always, always a good place to start. So we got about four minutes here, Pastor Preuss, and I, we kind of skipped over a few of those verses there, about verses forty-one through 
44, where, you know, we're thinking about Jesus on trial here, giving a defense. For the most part, he's he's been pretty even-handed, and, and he certainly isn't as as strong as he will become later in John chapter 8, particularly, you know, where he, he calls them the, the children of the devil. But he does start to get pretty strong with them here. What do, what do we see Jesus uh, teach in verses about 41 through 44 or so? And, and again, help us to, to wrap it up with, with what Jesus says there. Right. Well, Jesus' witness is from God. Even the witnesses of John the Baptist and Moses, which he brings up, are the witnesses of God, because God is the one who sent them. In 41, he says, I do not receive the glory from, glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in my name, and his, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Uh, so uh, what he's doing is contrasting himself, where his glory comes from God, his witness and tes- his testimony comes from God, his works come from God, and they are concerned about the opinions of people. Uh, they're more worried about being judged by their fellow Pharisees than being judged by God himself. And they're more concerned about being praised by their fellow uh, Jews and Pharisees than being praised by God himself. Uh, and it's, it's it's very convicting when he says, you know, uh, I come in my Father's name, you do not receive me, but if someone comes in his own name, you will receive him. And that's the same today. I mean, people love the glory of men, and we want to be like them. They look at who the successful false preachers have been in the past. So, you know, obviously you have, you know, Muhammad and Joseph Smith, and I forget the name of the guy who started the Jehovah Witness uh, uh, cult. Um, and, and then, you know, you have, like, the televangelists, you know, uh, Joel Osteen and um, what's that one guy's name? That doesn't matter. I mean, they all come in their own glory. They all just assert their own thing. Uh, and people glory in it because they like they like the glory of man. But Jesus did not come seeking the glory of man, and he doesn't come giving the glory of man. He comes with the glory of God. Uh, and this is the beautiful thing. Like, who is Jesus? You can't separate who Jesus is from what he does. He is God, uh, and he is man, because he has come to deliver man uh, from sin. He's come to deliver our human race so that we may be brought to God. Uh, so it, it, he, he shows the divinity in the scripture. Uh, he shows his own divinity, and uh, he, he comes to bring us to himself through the gospel, which proclaims that Christ Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Uh, so it's a wonderful, uh, it, it shows us where our faith is founded and where what uh, the goal of our faith is, which is to bring us to God. Pastor James Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa, helping us today with John chapter 5, verses 30 to 47. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. The scriptures testify to Jesus. When you go to the scriptures, you find Jesus and you have life in his name. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the gospel according to St. John, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.